0: Hi everyone and welcome to Total Celebrity Show. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, TotalTutor.net for more information, Twitter, TotalTutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, Google Plus, and also on Periscope at TotalTutor. And I'm excited first to welcome the program, my co-host for the Just Two Choices Celebrity segment. Rico Rakowski. Rico, how are you? And when I talk to about our guest, he might not consider himself a celebrity, but I do with his honors and his accomplishments. It's just an amazing yeah. guest.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, high fives to you. And uh, today's guest uh, is uh, astronaut Kevin Chilton. Call sign Chilly. So if you hear Chilly come up in the conversation today. We're talking to Kevin, and he has he has one of the most amazing backgrounds in aviation, uh, as an RF-4 pilot through f uh, fifteen as a fighter pilot, test pilot, and in space. he got about 30 days in space all and uh, on three shuttle missions, and also as the commander for the Air Force's Space Command, the Strategic Air Command. So you can kind of say, you know, hes guy, he's got all the right stuff. You know, Air Force Academy grad, astronaut, test pilot, fighter pilot, four-star general, astronaut yeah, Hall yeah, of Fame. Yeah, yeah I and think. In a, and I've, in his spare time, and it, go
0: ahead. No, I was saying, and four-star general. We don't get the m- many times yeah. to talk to a four-star general. That's for sure.
1: Nor, nor a four-star general who also, in his spare time, hammers out riffs on his Fender Stratocaster. So I think that's a really rare breed right there, Kevin. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Rico,
0: Neil, it's my pleasure. It's so
1: good
0: to hear your voice. Oh yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. Well,
1: it's... go, Rico. Oh no, go ahead,
0: no. No, I was just saying, I'm excited to just again to talk. And uh, Rico, I guess you guys are really go back a long way. You and Kevin.
1: Yeah, we have a. Uh, we have uh, we went to, we went to school. We went to the same college. We went to the Air Force Academy, and and. uh Kevin's uh, of course gone up into the stars there, so it's uh, it's fabulous. And you know, which is an interesting thing. You know, I was talking to Kevin the other day, and you know, sometimes in things in life, and it goes for yourself too. You know, you're in professional wrestling, and and here you are an educator. You know, many of us discover that what we started out doing is an entry point. You know, it's only an entry point into something that gets even bigger and better than we ever could have imagined. And Kevin talked about how he was just interested in being an airline pilot. Kevin, could you kind of give us that little bit of a background in terms of you're just interested in flying and, and being an airline pilot? And, you know, the rest of this unfolds all the way through test pilot and astronaut and, and, uh, and four-star general. Can you kind of give us that little bit of a background there? Yeah, happy to, because it's, you know, what turned into a career certainly wasn't planned. And as you said, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles in the shadow of L.A. International Airport. And uh, my mother had been an airline stewardess in the 1940s. Her very best friends in life were former uh, stewardesses. And one of them was married to a gentleman who, we called them aunt and uncle, uh, even though they weren't. They are just such close family friends. He flew for United Airlines. And he seemed to really like what he was doing. And you know, my my grammar school was at uh, the approach ends of LAX, and my high school was at the departure. In fact, we used to joke we could read lips every because every two minutes a jet would go by and make it hard to hear the teacher. And I spent a lot of time looking out the window, you know. watching airplanes fly. And I just thought it was magical. And my father was an aeronautical engineer, so. I said, you know, I think what I'd really like to do when I grow up is be an airline pilot. The problem was learning how to fly. And uh, I'd read it. One of my uncles gave me a book called Anyone Can Fly, and I read it. And I said, go down to your local airport, (laughs) wash airplanes, and uh, push (laughs) them around, and uh, do maintenance, and trade. Don't do it for money. Trade it for flying time. And I may not have been the sharpest pencil in the box, but I knew that wasn't going to work at L.A. International Airport. No, no. So... (laughs) So I just, uh, I was kind of flummoxed. I, was, I think I was about 12 years old. And uh, one summer day, um, what we used to do in the summer is we'd call our buddies up on the phone and say, do you want to play baseball, football, or can you yeah. drive to the beach? You know, all really wanted to yeah. go to the beach every day. One day a friend said, uh, Bill to me he said, nah, my mom can't drive, but my brother's home from college. If you can get over here in 10 minutes, we're leaving for Manhattan Beach. I said, okay, I asked my mom, jumped on my bicycle rode over there and jumped in the me station wagon. It's a great family of seven boys. And, and off we are heading to the beach, and I turned to Bill, and I said, well, what's your brother's name? He said, it's Dan. I said, hey, Dan, where do you go to college? He said, I go to the Air Force Academy. And I said, what's that? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of private providential there, you know. Yeah. to used to a school in Colorado. You go there, you get a degree, and then they teach you how to fly it. You fly jets for the Air Force. I said, well, gee, uh, Dan, uh, how long do you got to do that for? And he said, well, five years, which was the commitment in those days. And I said, uh, could you be an airline pilot after that? He said, yes. I said, okay. <laughs> and that, that day, sitting in the back seat of the Tumi Mobile, I decided uh, I would to go to the Air Force Academy or try and yeah. uh learn, learn how to fly and then become an airline pilot, so everything else kind of fell into place after that, but I was you know being an astronaut was not on my radar screen and slowly totally not making a career out of the air force wow
0: and 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 kevin yeah Dan,
1: w- Dan changed my life yeah Dan that, that young man Dan changed my life
0: wow, just by, the, you know, absolutely that's answering amazing,
1: my, answering my silly questions, yeah.
0: When you were interested in flying planes, when you first looked at this, what what kind of struck you to say, "I want to do this"? What was that 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 moment as a child, or 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 an adolescent, or even a little older, as a teenager, where you said, "I really want to fly planes"? What what kind of influence was that that made you really want to do this? Well, Neil, I
1: think it was a couple things. For me, uh, even to this day, even though I've had plenty of aeronautical engineering training and, and I'm an engineer, when I see an airplane fly, take off or land, to me it is still magical. Yes. Sir. When you see something created, created by man, that's this big, huge device made out of metal that's carrying people on board, gracefully lift off the ground and cl- climb off into the sky, I, you know, it's just, uh, I have that feeling that's it's just magic. You know, I understand the, the math behind it. And then i say the other thing was that uh, uncle of mine, who, you know, wasn't a blood uncle, but certainly felt that way family-wise, Uncle Mil- Milton that was his name, and the United Airlines pilot, when his son Jeff turned uh, 12, uh, he he bought Jeff a $5 orientation ride in a Cessna 172, and he could bring a friend along Well, he called me up. And that was my first flight in a light airplane. And it was everything I had ever imagined flying to be and even better, you know, be up in the sky and looking down. We took off from Torrance to Airport uh, airport in oh, wow. Southern California. Flew around flew out over in the channel between Catalina and, and the Palos Verdes Peninsula and around and over Long Beach back in. It was about an hour long flight and I, I was just so thrilled. I remember we landed and the instructor pilot who had taken us up, we were taxiing in and I looked at him and I said I asked him, I said do they pay you to do this? <laughs> they laughed and he said, yeah, this is my job. And I thought to myself, I can't, I can't imagine having a job where they paid you to have this much fun. And so, you know, I'd say it was those two things, just being exposed to the airplanes there, are taking off from the airport all the time. And then that first flight.
0: And, and, and you know, the, there's
1: also been things tied to...
0: Yeah, right, I, would, you know, yeah I was going right. to say, yeah, that's that's interesting that those experiences, Rico, lead to exploring more, Rico, right?
1: Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, you know, there's, uh, there's plenty of stories of, uh, that pilots have from being in the uh, classroom and looking out the window and, you know, and teachers making comments like, you know, you're never going to find a job looking out the window. You know, you just put your head back in this classroom and pay attention to what's going on in school. And your pilots sometimes make the comment, you know, so mesmerized with aviation <laughs> You know, I, I wrote that teacher and told her, hey, I found a job. Look, up where I get paid to look out the window all day. You know, it's being uh, a pilot, and so it it, it is. Uh, it's it's surreal. I still get you know just very excited about it. Every every day is a new day. Every flight's a new flight. And and you know, speaking of those kind of mesmerizing and surreal things, just fast forward a little bit. At what in comparing those two? You know, to, based on on Neil's question, what's the difference in your feelings? You know, being up in space. I mean, is that Is is that, you know, I'm sure it's indescribable. Um, um, The first time you're in space and then even the third time you're in space, I imagine it's probably all just exhilarating. Can you compare the two, or are they they uncomparable? Uh, You know, I think there are a lot of comparisons, Rico. Um, And, you know, look, having the the great blessing to be able to uh, fly on the space shuttle and uh, and be a part of the NASA family and team and the crews I flew with, and to be able to look down on the planet from those altitudes and its speeds—I mean, just what a gift! But the emotions that are the emotions that are stirred in your heart and your soul by that are not so different from the emotions you have when you see a beautiful sunrise and you're just mm-hmm. awestruck by it, or a beautiful sunset, or you're flying on a on a you know a moon. So a starlit night, and you, you kind of take in the vastness of the universe, or or the day that you hold your firstborn in your arms. Uh, they're very, very similar emotions that are just uh, mm-hmm. give you such great pause, such great gratitude, and in awe. Actually, just you're awestruck by it. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's just a different environment that you're in and experiencing that. And uh, it, it was it was very, very special. I don't mean to belittle that that the feeling that you have inside you is one that i hope that's just most people have experienced just not in that not in that venue yeah
0: wow i was talking to rico about how he's considered a rock star to many different people because he's just an airplane he's an because he's an airplane (laughs) pilot and how many people wish they could fly planes or you know especially a a fighter pilot now for you kevin (laughs) you have something that's on everyone's laundry list when they're 5 years old especially boys that they want to be astronauts so once you tell people that you are an astronaut how what are their responses to you how do they respond to you in that conversation how it just somehow comes up it's got to be like everyone's eyes light up and they're just so interested and amazed to hear the story right <laughs>
1: Well, you know, usually I don't tell people that I was an astronaut and that <laughs> I, I just, I'm happier. <laughs> but if they do discover it, you know, what's that? Uh, no, no one was more shocked than my father, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> which is not true. You know that so proud of me and, uh, and I love the fact that he's proud of me and I love him. But, no, you know, there is, It's it's kind of when they do discover it or, the conversation ends up there. There, it's, it's kind of well. First, they're shocked. They, they can't imagine that they met somebody that had, had that opportunity, and then and they want to know what it was like. And I'm, although I don't talk about it and offer it front I'm. I will talk until the cows come in about aviation, flying, and and space flight because I I love I love talking about it and answering questions. Great, that- that's fascinating. You mentioned you mentioned that Kevin because. You know, like Herb Kelleher, the founder of Southwest Airlines, if you didn't he just comes up and says to you, Hi, I'm hurt, you know, he doesn't tell you, you started Southwest Airlines. You know, unless you ask. Um uh, Roger Staubach, we had the blessing to interview him and you know, he's of a very similar philosophy too. He's just you know just it's just he's blessed that, you know, he feels blessed that it came out that way, that it worked out so well for him. Yeah, you know, and I I agree and I you know I'm, when I meet somebody I'm more interested in them. I know yeah. my story. And I, it's kind of boring. After <laughs> times.
0: I wouldn't I, say I, that. I wouldn't say that, Kevin. I have about a thousand Whoa. different questions, but Rico's so <laughs> detailed in his, his questions. I'm just looking forward to the follow-up. I, I, I mean, it's it's an amazing <laughs> th- thing, Kevin. To, to, How... Yeah. No, well, everybody no, has it. a story. Everybody has a story. You just got to yeah.
1: ask. Everybody has a story. Yeah. Well you know as you as you string as you string the story together, now I'm going to go into some technical stuff um just just to shift gears into space and and the mindset that it takes in aviation you know um, um, in terms of the choices you have to be on top of you know from step to step. It's not impossible it's just, mm-hmm. you know stay staying in that flow and being able to manage all of those switches and how all that information integrates in terms of mm-hmm. where you are and what you want to do um You know, um, back in the 60s, the space program, you know, progressed through Mercury and Gemini and onto Apollo, and, you know, everything got complete, you know, it's more complex. And as things got more complex, as you know, with with, uh, like King Kranz and, you know, Failure is Not an option. those people who are mission controllers developed these things, you know, those mission rules books. And so I've I've read about them. Um, You know, they, they seem to, the way the guidance is, the guidance takes you to, uh, guide you through all these different problems where there are going to be two clear choices, either go or no go. You're going to continue and you're going to afford. Can you give us a little bit of an inside view to the significance of that go-no-go strategy and the mission rules books because, you know, how they've evolved over the years and, and, and how much you as an individual while you're up in space as, say, the commander of at Atlantis that you were, you know, in that, on that particular shuttle are thinking about mission rules and how go-no-go is part of your logic process? Could you share with that? Sure. Yeah. And uh, the mission rules, or they were often called flight rules, were hammered out over long periods of time in simulation or just flat people sitting down and thinking, uh, putting thought to what could and couldn't go wrong, what was essential to continue, uh, what was safe, what were, um, if something had gone wrong, what were the alternatives that could that allow you to continue or not continue or force you to make a decision not to go. But, you know, they tried to boil it all down to um simple as possible, but that didn't mean it wasn't complex. But in particular in crisis or in, if you can imagine in a launch countdown, uh, you're time constrained. I mean, there's a launch window. There's a lot of things that have to come together that when they do come together aren't going to stay together for a very long period of time based on... Extreme temperatures, etc. The, the chemicals and liquids that are being used, and there's not mm-hmm. a lot of time for just sitting around. You want to you schedule the launch time. You want to go off on time, and there's a reason for that. And so sure. you have to, and they did develop a very disciplined approach to mm-hmm. uh, polling everybody uh, that had an insight into critical uh, elements of the rocket uh, mm-hmm. on go/no go. No-go. And it was a formal, very formal poll. Right at a certain time, as you approached uh, the launch time, and going around the room, and each uh, mm-hmm. each specialist would give a go/no go decision. And mm-hmm. it was a it was a serious, serious moment. Mm-hmm. And when they said go, the leader, the flight director, the Gene Krantz in the room, uh, which there's been many, many to uh, follow, um, trusts that individual trust everything about that decision, doesn't question it. And uh, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's really, an, you know, I had a great opportunity, great privilege to work in mission control as a CAPCOM or capsule communicator mm-hmm. uh, for several years. And uh, that was always a thrilling, intense moment uh, when, when the flight director pulled the room for a critical decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to talk about, Kevin, that, you know, you already were an a, an airplane pilot to go from that pilot to an astronaut, were you fearful at all? Because, you, you know, there are tragedies that happen when you get in the space shuttle, you know, that it's not always going to go as it's planned. Did you, do you have any butterflies and nerves of going in a space shuttle and flying into oh, space? I,
1: certainly. Uh, it, yeah, certainly. I think, um, but I think I probably shared a fear that uh, most astronauts would tell you uh, that we had I mean look I, my first flight was post Challenger so everybody knew what was at stake and, uh, and 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 you know it wasn't just you that knew your family your mother and father and everybody knew what was at stake and that that part you know was actually um, something you had to come to grips with to even be an astronaut A but once you decided to do that you kind of worked your way through it and you know, I, I can tell you on my launch day, I, that was the last thing on my mind. Um, the most, the thing that you feared most, though, I did anyway, was that I would make a mistake that would either impact the outcome of the mis- mission or put my crewmates at risk, their lives at risk. Right. And there, and there were certainly op- many, many opportunities to do that. And um, and so you trained so very, very hard to be as perfect as you could be. In a normal flow of things, and to me, also is perfect in your judgment and decisions and switch throws you would have to make in a anomalous situation where um, those switch throws could be the difference between, you know, success or life and death. And your biggest fear was that you wouldn't personally be up to the task to accomplish that successfully. <laughs> there was no ultimately at home. At, on launch day, or the moment of launch, wasn't that was the predominant fear that I would say I, I had. I mean, on, on every flight after getting strapped in, I fell asleep, took a nap. That's how sanguine and fatalistic I was with regard to oh my. my my personal life, my life. You know? But uh, you're you're pretty on you're pretty focused on trying to be really good at what you were what you were chartered to do. If I could. If I could add to that Kevin and, and Neil, for the background it, it it happens that way in aviation, I mean, even when you're flying and you're a flight lead to say a four ship of f fifteens or sixteens or whatever you're flying in okay. tactically, you know you're the guy that's responsible for the other for the whole flight and the, and so that's a that thought process is a part of aviation in general and and in the airlines too, you know when you're flying it's it's about the hundred and something or two hundred something people that are on the airplane that you're thinking about that, you know, you want to make sure that you do just like Kevin was saying. It's a normal, you know, it's a normal concern, I would say, is to say, you, want to make, you know, you want to be as prepared as you can so that if something does um, go awry, you know, you're ready yeah, yeah. to you know, correct it. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I think that fear is something that uh, is common to aviation and no, no different than the shuttle. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they're different. The show nice said, and <laughs> I understand what you're saying. Well, you now when you're up, um, we we talked earlier, uh, Kevin, and you, we were talking about I call these things choice moments. Of course, every moment's a choice moment, and um, you know you were talking about um, about about your career, and it reminded me of something that happened in high school for myself. I had a choice moment where the guidance counselor suggested, uh, actually told me to go to junior college and not to, uh, you know, not to be getting into aviation. And, and I wasn't upset by it. I just kind of thought about it and said, well, to myself, I didn't say it out loud. I said, well, no, that doesn't sound right. So I had just two choices. Believe her and or believe somebody else, which we all have those options in our lives, to believe somebody else or to, you know, follow our dream, or our vision. And so could you tell us about a couple of key points that as you're navigating through the Air Force, I think you had like three or so, three or four of them, where people told you, they suggested that you not go a particular direction. And you say, well, I'm going to go ahead and go that other direction anyway. Can you kind of describe a couple of those choice moments and, and how obviously where you're where you are and it went contrary, but uh, can you kind of describe for our audience those things? A couple of those choice hands? Sure. Yeah. Happy to do that. You know, I, um, I, I think, uh, You know, the background would have to be, you know, the only reason I didn't, you know, I'm not not proud of this. The only reason I went into the Air Force Academy was for some very selfish reasons. That was a strictly a way for me to become what I wanted to become at the time I thought, an airline pilot. And um, so in that context, you know, um, I was always... You know, I was going to serve my commitment and do my duty to be professional, but I was looking ahead to that five-year point after flight school when I would get out. And so probably the, some of the early choices were, well, why the heck did you stay in? I mean, I could have gotten out several times along the way. And, and each yeah, right. time I thought about that, was it was a choice, yes or no. And mm-hmm. I can distinctly remember at some point um, along the way, uh, at, at, actually I was attending my Uncle Milton's retirement. Party and, uh, from United Airlines, and there was every, everybody there knew each other except me. I was God Duck. I was stationed at Edwards Air Force Base I'm flying at a student in test pilot school, and i drove driven down to Palace Curtis to his home and met all these United Airlines pilots, and they were great guys, but every one of them, they asked me, well, what do you do? I said, I'm in the Air Force. Their first question was, well, when can you get out? And I said, well, I can get out now. You know, I had no commitment. I'd served my commitment up. And they said, just about all of them said, well, now's a perfect time to get out. United's hiring. Uh, it's a great time to get into the airline. It's true oh now. Oh. And one, 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 <laughs> one, indiv- yeah, one individual went so far as to say you'd be a fool not to get out. Well, that night I had to drive from Calisburg back out to the high deserts of California to Edwards about a— Two-hour drive, and it was a dark night. I'm in the car by myself, and I'm thinking, "Am I a fool? Because <laughs> I don't feel compelled to get out." And, and, and it was that night I decided that I'm going to stay in the Air Force until I'm unhappy staying in the Air Force.
0: <laughs> and I and I have been
1: happy. Um, I realized all along in that this choice to get out, yes or no, um, I made that evening to stay, stay a little longer. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, a forever choice. It turned out to be, but that was that was probably an interesting one. And then I think a couple other ones we talked about, Rico. Uh, when I um, went to be a applied to be a test pilot, and that meant I was leaving the fighter community, and I was counseled that it wasn't a good career move, and oh, I appreciated the counsel. In every case, the people who counseled me not to go one way um, or another. They had nothing but the best interest, my best interest in mind, uh, I always felt. But I, you know, I said, no, this is something I'd really like to try to do. And then as a test pilot, when I applied to be an astronaut, I was counseled, was you know, throwing away a perfectly good Air Force career <laughs> to go do that. And, and I appreciated that counsel, but I just felt like I wanted to go try something different at the time. And then finally, when I was at, after being at NASA for 11 years, uh, the opportunity to return to the Air Force was presented to me. And, and my boss at NASA counseled me. He said, don't, don't go back to the Air Force. You're, you have a future here. And that's
0: oh my. what I
1: really would like to And so, you know, went back to the Air Force and completed 13 more years in, in the yeah. Air Force, which I, I didn't know that was going to happen. There were no promises. It was just something I thought I wanted to do. And well, at that point, my wife and I thought we wanted to do it with a, with a family. So, so those, are, those are yes and no. Those are certainly forks in the road in my career, Rico, that um, I, did, I, and I didn't take lightly those decisions. I didn't take the counsel lightly. Right. Right. I appreciated the counsel. And, and, I, and I thought prayerfully and, and in collaboration with That's my great. wife after, you know, at the points in our lives where it was not just a decision impacting me, it was impacting our family. And, mm-hmm. and they, were, they were not off the top of the head kinds of things, but mm-hmm. it turned out to work out pretty good. And, and
0: right. Yeah, well, <laughs> you think about the other thing that we haven't really introduced. We're, we're all into the astronaut and pilot, but four-star general. I've spoken to one general before on my show. You're the second. And uh, do a lot of pe- people uh, address you as general, I'm sure, all the time. So G- General Chilton. Uh, how did you get to the point to rise to four-star general, especially when you went to NASA for a, a bit, too, and then back to the Air Force? Just, to, again, uh Great honor to be able to get to that level of of rank, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the the honor, the great honor is the honor to be able to continue to serve. And the the military has an up-or-out structure, so at some point we
0: all
1: all get promoted to a certain level, and then we have to move on to something else. And uh, the the promotions that followed after our return to uh, the Air Force were all a gift. Uh, to me an opportunity for me to continue to serve it's the way I look at them, and I was uh, always humbled by them. Um, I, you, know, I, I, you, you don't achieve anything in life without the help of a lot of people. And I mean I, first of all, personally, I, I, I've always credited any success I've had to two things that you know and my parents taught them to me, you know, it, just, it doesn't matter what your job is, it really doesn't matter in life. You're know, all gonna end up in the same place eventually. Um, it just what matters is that you give it, give it your best effort, you know. And you know, as a good friend of mine said, you know, the key to success in life is to show up on time in the right uniform with a good attitude, and then work hard, whatever it is the job at hand is. And I, and I firmly believe that. But the other thing I think, you know, just as self-assessment. I think, I, 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 if nothing else, I've proven over and over again I'm eminently trainable. So even if I don't know what I'm doing, I'm a good listener and a good student, and I'm eager eager always to learn new and different things, and, and those have helped me along the way as individual personality traits. But lastly, and far more importantly, is I, I work for some tremendous leaders who took chances on me, who, who gave me opportunities to fail, um, which also means they gave me opportunities to succeed. Right. And uh, these, uh, these men were uh, exceptional Air Force leaders, and, you know, without them taking a risk, you know, career risk for them, even to, you know, give me the jobs that I might not do well at. Without their uh, faith in me, I, I never would have been able to, uh, to stay in the Air Force as long as I was blessed to be able to.
0: Rico, we're at that uh, point. We're at, we're, we're at that point. The final <laughs> question and now uh, this is where Rico yeah. has an amazing survey of amazing uh, guests we've had on this program from a variety of uh, head football coaches to uh, Hall, Hall of Famers to NFL, NBA, legends. Um, uh, all these different variety of people, uh, famed authors, have answered this question. So, Rico, go ahead and ask this question. Uh,
1: no pressure. No pressure here. Huh? I had to
0: do that to you. I mean, I at least have to put that. You're on the hot seat. Uh, so, okay. Good.
1: Well, we can't see if you're smiling or not, Kevin. So. I know. <laughs> we can't see if you're sweating or not. But the question is, it's a real general thing. open It's actually a philosophical question. Um, um, you know, what percentage, as we talked about with regard to choice, you know, what percentage, when you look back at life, what percentage of life do you feel is, is, is choice, and what percentage do you believe it's circumstance? Uh, we've had 60-40. We have a hundred percent. We've had all those answers, but in from your experience in life and all the phenomenal things you've done, what's your what's your answer to that in percentages? Since you are a you know you are a very scientific guy. <laughs> well, every every day is a different circumstance, um, and some some people are presented. Um, more than other you know, opportunities, you mm-hmm. might say. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, but at the end of the day, it's choices. You know, you, you choose whether you're going to take advantage of the circumstance that, that you're in. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you say, well, if, if, if this is a percentage of becoming a four-star general, there's so much luck in that. I so <laughs> put that 100% circumstance, you know. But for leading a, a fulfilling life, it's 100% choice. Yeah. One hundred percent choice every day you get to choose good from evil, right from wrong, better from slightly you know better from slightly better and you get to make those choices uh every day dozens of times a day and they really can impact uh, not only your life your family's lives and your happiness and so it's, it's both <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you how do you measure it? and well, thank you and thank and, you and,
0: and I agree in the kind of uh that you look at circumstance in life um is something that is everything but if you make if you, it's choice and a lot of people could have all the decks stacked against them and they work really hard and they achieve what they can achieve based on their ability but they made the choices to right. either succeed some or su- not succeed at all so even if uh the deck is uh against you you have to ha- you have to make choices to move forward or else you're uh the, the choice is that i'd choose not to be uh to to work hard hey there you go you're not gonna be a four-star general or you're not gonna be an astronaut or you're not gonna be you're not gonna be a fighter pilot and, and, a, and a pilot so or you're
1: not gonna be you're, or you're not gonna be landing on the moon you know it's just go right.
0: go 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 yeah. go there
1: wasn't a no-go so they just kept going
0: you know exactly yeah and,
1: you know, I, I heard someone I heard someone say once, one of the greatest lies, and I'm guilty of it, so we tell our children that you can be anything you want to be. Uh, You know, and I said, look, you know, Mother Teresa, no matter how much she wanted to be a professional basketball player, could never be a professional basketball
0: player. Right, right.
1: She had certain talents.
0: Yes. Right? uh, She had mm -hmm.
1: certain talents. But she, but she, she utilized those talents. She made choices to utilize those talents in the most beautiful way. And so each one of us has... A certain God-given set of talents. We are placed in various circumstances that, oftentimes, we have no control over. Oftentimes, we do. But at the end of the day, it's about the choices we make, and those choices oftentimes can open some pretty amazing doors for us, uh, regardless of the talents that we have.
0: And and, and it's that in that when you in okay. your mind you believe you can't do something, then you're go, it's 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 over. And that's the whole process in this is that. The choices we make will lead us to where we are led, but it's based on our our, our thought process and what we think we could do. Yes, not everyone could be a superstar basketball player or an astronaut, but your gifts and talents will lead you to the right thing. So, Kevin, you have no places to follow follow you, right? We can't follow you anywhere, right? No Facebook, anything for people to connect or email you or ask questions.
1: No, I'm kind of. I'm kind of off the in that regard.
0: <laughs> I had a feeling. I've <laughs> <had> a feeling <laughs>
1: Well, you know, when I was my last job, I was, when I was the commander of Stratcom. I was in charge of the, uh, one of one of our missions there at Stratcom was uh, cyber security. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you you, won't, you, you you won't, given what I what I learned in that job, you won't find me out there
0: the ether <laughs> all right well sounds good guys thanks for being on the show both of you a great show again just two choices.com <laughs> for more information on rico or follow me at just two choices take care guys and i really enjoyed the conversation hey, thanks hey. a lot all right, see you okay bye-bye that was the total celebrity hey, show bye, take care, everyone guys.